I'm super, super, super excited to tell you about my sponsor, Southwest Trading Company. Southwest Trading Company is a native-owned business located at 1306 East 11th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you've never been to Southwest Trading Company, you need to go check them out. Right now, if you can, or after this podcast, or during the podcast, but either way, go check that store out. They have a lot of great items from different artists from all around, like jewelry, blankets, art, clothing, cedar boxes, indigenous home decor, car accessories, totes, and so much more. You could spend hours in this store. I'm not kidding. I went to the first time, and I think I spent like maybe a couple hours maybe just looking around at everything they have. I mean, it's so unique. If you haven't yet, Southwest Trading Company also has a Facebook page. So if you have not yet, go like it and follow their page to keep up with all new items and events they have going on at the store. Once again, I'm super excited that we get to build together. The location for Southwest Trading Company is 1306 East 11th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Go check it out, everybody. Thank you. Listeners of Okie Podcast, I want to let you know about my sponsor, Moonlight Beading. Moonlight Beading is owned by Cherokee Nation tarot artist Danielle Campbell. If you don't know who Danielle is, she was on this podcast on episode 54. But Danielle is very passionate about her artwork and she has a wide range of art from beadwork, basket weaving, paintings, and more. If you would like to get a hold of her, you can contact her on Instagram at Moonlight Beading or at Danny underscore Campbell 5 or on Facebook as well. You could, you could also email her at MoonlightBeading at gmail.com. Go hit up Danielle, let her know you want some work in, some orders in, all of that good stuff. And let her know Russ from Okie Podcast sent you. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Okie Podcast. On this episode, my guest for today is an actor and filmmaker, and her name is Desba. How's it going? Hi, Yate. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you uh, making time and coming on the podcast to just, just talk, just have a conversation and let everybody know who you are. I think that's really cool. Yeah, um, so that's my new phrase that I learned. My medicine man helped me. I hope I, I did okay. So it's gonna be like, oh shit, she said she said asshole. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my medicine man told me like make sure you don't say the guttural 
Yeah, yeah. So I just uh, introduced myself to Genev Bazad for anyone who's not familiar. Um, just saying my clans that my mom is Mexican and so is my grandfather on my maternal side. And um, I'm born for the Water Flows Together clan. I'm also of the Salt clan. I was born and raised in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I'm an actor. Now, you fluent in your language? No. <laughs> no? How long did that no. take you to learn? Um, that part, I'm actually, you know, I'm from the generation that is, um, whose, whose parents were not uh, exposed to their culture. Um, my dad was um, adopted by a white missionary family when he was like three, his mother died. And so they were friends and the woman took my dad in. Um, and so he didn't learn, but I, and because he didn't learn, he never, you know, there wasn't any, he never taught me. And the same with my mom, she's Mexican, but she also never spoke Spanish to me because I think she um, psychologically just thought that like, it would be better off if her children didn't have to go through the same kinds of tortures that she did when she was growing up, you know, being um, hit with rulers and such for speaking her language in class. Um, so she never taught me, my, my dad never taught me anything. Um, and, you know, it was like a huge hole in my life for a while. Like I knew I was Navajo, but I identified more with being Hispanic most of my life. Um, but I was always an interest but it was just always felt like there was something foreign to me growing up. Cause I grew up in a place called Española, New Mexico. It's the Northern part of New Mexico, which has its own, you know, bloody history of um, his, uh, you know, Spanish colonization. And, uh, you know, in the battlement with uh, the Pueblos here. Um, and so growing up here, like I said, I just mostly identified as being Hispanic and that's kind of how I passed in school. Um, but when I left and um, I did go to some programs that were specifically for native students. And when I went away to college and I finally was able to come back to New Mexico about seven years ago, I ended up getting a job at the Navajo Nation as a geologist. I have my bachelor's degree in geology from Amherst College. And um, I uh, worked there for a little bit um, and it was kind of like one of my dreams to be able to have like a reason to go back home and by home meaning homeland. And um, I got it. Like I, I managed to be able to go home. And I remember being really nervous because I felt like I was, I'm not even like a red apple. I didn't even feel like, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was going to be accepted. I thought, you know, people were going to, you know, ridicule me for not knowing anything. But um I didn't realize that there were so many people in my similar situation. Um, and so I talked to my cousins about it and uh, who were living in Farmington at the time and are still are still there actually. And she's like, no, don't worry about it. She says, you'll be accepted. Just, you know, don't pay anybody any mind. You know, if anyone's like mistreating you or making fun of you, that's like their problem. I said, okay. And when I started working for the nation, um, we had to take a sex sexual harassment training program, which pretty much almost the entirety of was just on introductions of who we were in Navajo. But when they finally came to me and I was in the very back of the class, I said, you know, I know what my plans are, but I can't say it in Navajo. I said that, you know, I'm, I'm Water Flows Together clan. I was born for, my, born for the Water Flows Together clan and I, my um, 
paternal, my maternal uh, grandparent, my paternal grandparents are salt, salt clan. And I almost broke down in tears when the instructor said, you returned home to us. And that was just such a huge sigh of relief that I was accepted by even at this one elder in the community. And it just meant so much to me that, you know, I, that was my intention, one, to go home to New Mexico, but then two, to the homeland in Diné And that an elder there was saying, you returned home to us and I identify that you are trying and you at least know who you are. Like, and that was just so beautiful to me. And it really helped alleviate a lot of anxiety. And, you know, I did come face to face with some people, you know, gatekeepers in the community who are like, oh, well, you think you're so good because you got a college degree and you're coming back home and, you know, you, you, you don't even know who you are. Um, and that hurt a lot, but just that one elder meant a whole great deal to me that, you know, you know what, I'm not going to listen to how you're your violence towards me as me trying to return and learn about my culture and learn who I am and reconnect with that because it was um in a sense robbed from my family you know um it wasn't my dad's choice when he was three years old to live with this family they were they were a great family um you know they took care of him um but it was just you know, he didn't get to, he didn't get to explore that side of who he was and connect with that. And, um, you know, here I am trying to do my best. And so I'm doing that with my daughter, she's nine. And um, she's, she's proud to be brown. <laughs> Her dad's a Belagana, a, a white, white guy. Um, but she self-identifies, if anything, as a Belagana specifically. She doesn't say she's white, she says she's Belagana. Um, that's her clan, um, which is, you know, I don't want to say hilarious, but it's very cute that she's using the Dene Bazaar word for a white person to identify herself as such, but because she believes and she identifies herself as a brown person. Um, and there's just so much interest, there's just so much to identity. Um, and uh, yeah, I went off track with the question. <laughs> no, I don't know my language. I did take a course um, with uh, Joe Key. I believe he is the person who, or one of the key people who helped translate um, uh, the Star Wars trilogy, or the, at least the Star Wars um, Empire Strikes Back, I think it was, and Finding Nemo into Navajo language, along with, um, oh my God, I'm forget his name, but he's the director, he was the director at the Navajo Nation Library. They worked together to, um, you know, find fluent speakers and also to coach people who were not um, confident in their fluency skills. Um, even if you're a fluent speaker, it's just, you know, there's a difference between literacy and fluency sometimes. Um, my medicine man friend is both fluent and literate in the Nebuzaz because he's a teacher. So um, oftentimes I'll ask him, how do you spell this or how, you know, and he'll spell it out for me and I can read it. That was what I was trying to get back to. <laughs> I, can, 
I can read Dene Vizad. Um, I just have a hard time with the listening to it orally. But if I see it written out, I can, I know what my voice needs to do to try to, to say it the right way. And I don't butcher it as bad if I can read it. Um, but I took a course with Jokia at, at you know, UNM Gallup was like a summer course. And that's how I learned to read. And another moment too with him was that I, we had to read children's books. And so I managed to read, uh, I've had to record myself. I managed to read a children's book to him. And he said, um, he says, I, you know, you've improved. He says, and I just want to let you know that a room full of elders would be able to understand you. You know, it's choppy. He's like, it's not smooth and flowy and beautiful, but they would be able to understand you. And that again, too, just like, you know, really solidified for me that, um, you know, my efforts for trying were paying off. So that's the long answer. <laughs> no, but I love your, um, I mean, that story though, you know, you, you ran across, I mean, there's a bunch of people with the same um, kind of experience, I guess, like you said, like similarities, because we're so accustomed to English and I don't know how it is for you, but for me, like right now, I work with our language program and I took it in middle school and that was about it, you know, and then, but you're a kid, you don't really pay attention. And then coming back to it as an adult, 30, 30 years later or whatever, you know, it's, it's a bit overwhelming because all you know is English and you have to forget English. You have to forget this language that you, yeah, that you've spoken like your entire life and it's hard man it's it's hard it's it's uh you know it can get you down a little bit too because you don't fully understand like you're not fully getting it but you know our teachers are so cool that they're not like oh like get out of here like you know like they're not like real like you know i know there's probably like some teachers out there that are like that but you know our teachers are very they're very uh considerate about you actually getting this because they want everybody to speak fluently you know and i think that's important you know your teachers are the most important thing to make you feel comfortable to make you feel wanted to make you feel like you belong you know and and that was like me like you know i knew shoot i went to powwows and that was about it like i don't know like i didn't know our ceremonies i didn't know the language like i didn't know I knew like a couple words and that was that, you know, but that's pretty much like everybody in our tribe. They just know like slang, slang Pawnee. And that's, what's cool about Taylor and Zach, the people I work with is, you know, they're diving deep back into history to bring out these words and the way they were supposed to be said. And they're teaching it for free, you know, it's free. And I think it's a great opportunity that they do or that they give our people you know, to learn free Pawnee. And, but I mean, I get it. You know, it's, it's uh, intimidating learning a language that you're a part of, but you're not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'd have stories of my, uh, my aunt, you know, my aunt also, she, she's, she's funny. Um, she's a comedian. She'll like, she's the one who would purposely teach you to say the bad words. <laughs> <laughs> go ask him 
what mean? And she's like, and say, that's how you say thank you in Navajo. And so we go over there and be like, and you're like laughing. She's like, you just said bullshit. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> She's a joker. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Wow. That's cool, though. I mean, it's a sense of humor and everything, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, yeah. And that's the thing, too. It's just like, you know, I, uh, I, I, I think I've kind of sort of, um, you know, because I grew up here in, in, like I said, in northern New Mexico. I'm, I'm right now I'm in Santa Fe. And, uh, you know, like the, the cultural basket that this is you know it's predominantly Pueblo people um if I were to walk out the door in my Navajo uh regalia or anything my traditional clothing guaranteed I walk somewhere and someone be like oh is there is there a feast going on somewhere and you know or similarly I'm sure like if it was you know maybe I don't know how they are in Oklahoma. It's like, oh, is there a powwow going on? And I'm just like, no, this is just me. I'm on my way to go to whatever. You know, sometimes I just wear my skirt and like, you know, my sash belt. And but I've had a couple of times where they were like, oh, is there, is there a feast going on? I didn't know that there was a feast. I'm like, I'm not <laughs> Now people are starting to realize, you know, if I have my yes and my Navajo bun that um they're like, oh, are you are you Diné? And it's it's uh, surprising to me because when they actually use the right word, the right term, they're like, are you Diné? Um, and uh, that tickles me. You know, I'm starting to I, I I appreciate more the kind of like I guess somewhat mainstream uh, identification that more people are knowing the proper terminology or that, you know, I know that they're not getting it right, but at least, you know, feast is sort of kind of in the realm of like your native, you know, but it's still in the realm of like novelty, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, at some point, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, novelty, you know, I'm, I, as a filmmaker, as a, as an actor, you know, I am trying to strive more towards um, this idea of mainstream, um, you know, it's just, it's just another part of, you know, us being human in this world. I have another actor friend of mine, his name is Ryan Begay, and one of his hashtags is, um, I think, buns and guns, because he's always wearing his fiel, um, and most of the time, he's always got a gun. <laughs> he's always playing, like, the bad guy or some kind of enforcer in like i think it was like get shorty or something so he's like buns and guns because you know so that's his little hashtag but you know it's it's uh you know you see that every day and it's just you know especially with like the representation um you know why why do uh, you know anybody have to be why can't it be like the cashier or the grocery store person is like any other type of culture or, or um, uh, demographic. I mean, it doesn't always have to be 
you know, non-native white person that's, you know, in that particular role. It could be anybody and they could be wearing the stuff that, you know, is, is there. In New Mexico, you know, you will see lots of turquoise. You'll see lots of silver um, jewelry and, you know, inlay. Um, and that's just a part of the culture. It's just everywhere. Just as, was it ubiquitous as, you know, green or red chili in all of your food and in everything that you eat. Um, it's just it's just prevalent. It's just everywhere. So I feel like similarly, nativeness native culture, native uh, people in the film industry and in movies should be just as ubiquitous, should just be as, you know, normal and no longer seen as like a novelty or um, like a token to mm. be in a particular space. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> definitely, you know, native representation in filmmaking, or not filmmaking, but I mean, just in general, like in entertainment, you know, it's, um, it needs to be, what's the word I'm looking for? Just normalized, I guess. Right. Like mm-hmm. not, you want, we don't have to be like Western, Western stuff all the time, you know, but I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming out where it's just, there are just natives being everyday people, you know, like, like res dogs. Right. Res mm-hmm. Dogs, uh, Rutherford Falls, and then I've seen that new series that's coming out on AMC. I don't know how much you can talk about it, but you're in it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> your picture's <laughs> on the cover, but you know, but I mean, there's like you know, there's there's just all kind of there's all kind of like just great things happening, you know, within the entertainment industry. And oh yeah, and then shout out to Brian. I know who you're talking about. I thought you're gonna say. When he when it was buns or was it buns and guns? I thought he meant buns and because of his he's jacked, right? I thought guns out, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh yeah, that too. No, no, he is jacked. He's totally yeah, he's jacked. pretty jacked. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Shout out to Ryan. Um, but yeah, he's a cool dude. Um, I remember him from IA. He was a uh, he was not only going to school there, but he was our resident advisor too. So that was pretty cool. Oh really? Oh, wow. yeah yeah <laughs> or maybe he was resident advisor first and then he went to school there i can't remember but he eventually finished there i but yeah he was he was always cool he was a cool dude and speaking of ia you said you're graduating yeah so um i am walking tomorrow after two years of waiting to walk for my two mfas i i uh, what is it? Emphasize the two because I'm crazy. Um, yeah. So I, uh, my friend and I, uh, we're both graduating. Well, not say graduating. We already graduated, but we're walking tomorrow. It's a huge, huge deal. You know, just because we've been waiting for so long. Um, you know, I got into the program in 2018 at the last minute. Um, well, backup. I was taking a screenwriting course at Northern New Mexico College, and the professor there who uh, was, you know, he's, he's in his 70s, I think he's in his 70s, or maybe he's like pushing 70, I can't remember, but in any case, he's like, you're a really good writer, you should consider uh, getting into the uh, MFA program at IAIA, and I was just like, no, I don't want to go to grad school, I'm just, no, I, I, I did 
I did my bachelor's and that was torture and it nearly broke me mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Um, I'm not going to go back to school for graduate work. You know, I had these visions and these desire to do hydrogeology or something or volcanology or planetary science. I really wanted to study the stars. Um, but then I just like, I know I can't, I can't do that to myself. I'll just, I'll break. Um, but he's like, no, you're really good. I'm like, okay, fine. So last minute at the very last minute, I'm not kidding. I might've had like a couple of days to the deadline. I think I pushed the deadline. Like I put my, I submitted my applications like a minute to spare before the deadline. And I got in and, um, uh, so 2018, I got in and, um, you know, first time I walked on campus, I was really intimidated. For one, you know, like I had just barely been trying to learn more about my Navajo-ness and dealing with that and not and being ashamed of me not knowing my language and the culture very much. And here I am trying to like get a degree at Institute of American Indian Arts, you know, and what am I doing here? I know it's going to be for screenwriting, but like, I don't feel like I'm native enough to be here. Like this is, it was really intimidating. But at least from my experience, it was a very welcoming atmosphere. And um, it helped me to actually explore the nuances of not having grown up on the res, what it means for me to be reconnecting and rematriation. And my story is just as valuable and important because there are other people who are struggling to find out more about who they are and where they came from and their cultures, et cetera. Um, so don't be ashamed. This is the place to do it. This is the place to kind of figure that out and what it means to you and write about your experiences as a native person. Um, it was very super important to me and very welcome that I got, came into that place. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, like second year in, you know, we go to winter classes, we have winter residency and then, you know, kind of started knowing about COVID thing and then boom, you know, all of our classes, everything went to, I mean, it was already online mostly because it's a low res program. So most of it's online. You just meet, you know, for that week. And then um, in, uh, in the wintertime and in the summertime, and then the rest of the time the classes are online and you just check in with your advisor, your mentor throughout the semester. So we were kind of sort of already like, okay. But then, you know, that's, that last year having to do everything virtually um, and that last push to get everything done. Um, and then with the pandemic, I was home by myself. I had isolated myself from my parents because they were elderly. Um, you know, they lived an hour away. Uh, I had my daughter who was also in school and um, you know, I suffer or have been suffering from anxiety and depression, you know, on and off coupled with all of that and it just nearly broke me um and I know a lot of people also struggled either financially because you know they were um, trying to run a business at the same time you know I wasn't working either and so um it was just really tough but you know my advisor my mentor Ken White was just absolutely fantastic I love that man to death he's just so nurturing um and also very disciplined. That was a huge thing for me was that I just wanted to um, echo his discipline and how he uh, problem solves. And he never says a negative thing. If there's something that needs to be fixed in like a piece of writing, it's never like, you never feel like there's something wrong with it. It's always like, 
he phrases it in such a beautiful way <laughs> that it's just like, okay, so let's go back and see how this works. And it's like, almost like if you're trying, you know, they're trying to make it better, but he just never is ever negative about it. But he helped me cross the finish line that he, what he said was just like, I fully and completely respect that you feel like you want to take a break and pick this up again later. He says, however, I also wholeheartedly believe that you can pull this off. And I just, that was it. You know, someone to respect and see the struggle that I had and how insurmountable it felt for me. And at the same time say, despite how insurmountable it may seem to you, I'm up here and I can see that you just got just that much more. And I believe in you. And I trusted him and I said, okay, if you believe I can do it, he's like, I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And I did. Um, so just for even that one, I am so happy to be walking tomorrow, but then I decided to be crazy and they have this other program in the MFA where you can do a second genre option, which I had talked to the director about during the winter uh, residency in January said, um, I'm interested in possibly writing a book because I wanted to talk about, or, you know, to do the non, the creative nonfiction aspect of it, memoir type writing, which is what initially the first teacher in screenwriting said I was really good at memoir, memoir writing. I said, I'd really like to do that. I said, because um, I just feel like I really want to talk about my healing process and where I came from, this whole journey that I've had from the start of me beginning the acting career and believing in myself and, and uh, going on this journey of storytelling and acting and filmmaking and what it's meant to be, meant to me, how I, you know, had left an abusive relationship and decided to take a chance on myself and my daughter and move us into a different direction for our lives and the journey and the process of trying to overcome all that generational trauma that had brought me to that abusive relationship in the first place things that you know on the outside seem like everything is fine everything is hunky-dory I came from a very supportive loving family but somewhere in all of that, there was something, quote, wrong in how, like, I approached my relationship and what got me into this, this cycle that I wanted to end. And through that process, I wanted to be able to write about it. You know, a lot of the times people say um, that, you know, our, as Native people, our trauma is, is like trauma porn. You know, you're writing about, you know, our, our, our alcoholism, our abuse, our you know, our murdered relatives, um, everything. And, and people want to hear more and more and more. They can't get enough of how traumatized and all those poor natives, you know, they're suffering so much. Let's go help them. Let's send seed packets to their reservation because they don't have anything there. There's like no grocery stores for 13 miles around, you know, those poor people. Um, but I wanted to I wanted to write a different kind of story acknowledging the past, but I wanted to talk about how I had found the solution. And I wanted to write about that. So anyways, I talked to the director and said, Hey, can I can I do the second genre option? He's like, Oh sure, we'll talk about it in April. 
well, of course, like I said, COVID happened. And so then like after I graduated, like, oh yeah, that's right. Well, uh, I pulled off a miracle. I, uh, you know, turned in my MFA and I did my thesis and I did my lecture and I, you know, I did my, uh, my uh, reading for my script, you know, in the form of a Zoom call recording. I said, so I'm on top of the world. I can do anything. I even finished a, a short film with my daughter and, and our dogs that I had put on hold for three years. And I was like, I'm submitting that to film festivals. I just felt like I could do fucking anything. I was like, okay, I'm ready for this. So he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you can totally do it. <laughs> so I went for round, I felt like a boxer, like on like, round eight or whatever, not in however long, like some bloody nose, busted, busted eye. You know, and I'm like, all right, I'm ready for more. So I, I, that was also just, that was also, it was, it was a beautiful blessing, but it was also another horrific um, journey. But I got through that one too. And yet they denied me again to, to walk for that. So um, I'm like, I am going to be there and I'm going to celebrate. And this is going to be amazing because. I've never been able to do this before. For, I don't know. Yeah. So we're walking tomorrow. I'm super excited and super glad. And especially for everybody who's waited, even the current 2022 um, uh, students who got to present in person. Um, but through, despite all the struggles, it, it was well worth it to be able to, to celebrate tomorrow. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Well, congratulations. You know, you, Thank you. You worked your you worked you worked your butt off and you got through all of that with the pandemic going on at a very tough time for everybody and but I mean you but you you did most of this online you said were you on campus when you first started or no well the the I I MFA low residency program mm -hmm. is designed for busy adults. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and you can you can come in from all over the United States, I think even from all over the world. But what it is, is that um, for one week each semester, so it's like a summer residency and then a winter residency. It's incredibly intensive workshops, classes and readings for like six days. It's very intense. Don't let the idea that it's just a week long make you seem like it's just like, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. No, it's intense. Um, partially because I feel, one, not only are you required to do um, like a lot of writing and a lot of reading in such a short amount of time, but it's very emotional too. There's a lot of um, emotional work that's being done that I don't think very many people quite pinpoint and discuss. But, you know, as writers, as artists, you know, we put our hearts out there. You know, we have people destroy our work and say, well, this, this needs to be clarified. You know, they don't say it that way. They're not that harsh, unless you're maybe one of the mentors. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, but like, you know, this needs to be clarified. You know, I've always tried, like, I try to emulate uh, Ken White, you know, um, I might be like, okay, I don't understand what this person is saying. So I'm like, you know, I really like this. Um, I, I kind of, you know, it'd be great to see more of this. Um, I like how this flows or, you know, this, you know, I want to understand more about this. This is really nice. Or, you know, try to find a way to kind of like 
um, helps them with their process. Um, and it's just really amazing to have like wonderful mentors uh, be available, you know, to, to look at your work and, you know, help you uh, become better writers. I know specifically for the screenwriting program, um, which was, I feel like, you know, there were a lot of people who came at it from different um, genres. So there's like novelists, journalists, people who had like, you know, already two or three MFAs or masters and other things that's like here again <laughs> but um you know everybody has something to learn and how to become a better writer and how to I think in some ways it's like how to connect you know on that emotional level with the kind of writing that we're doing with another person because there is an audience that's reading and how do you um you know, connect with someone else is emotionally, you know, it's, you put that person in that, in where you are. How do you put that audience, that person who's reading your reader in that same place that you are, whether it's emotional, mental, or physical, right? You want them to imagine that they're, you know, in the arid Southwest with the cactus and the sun beating down and the ground looks like it's cool, but it's actually hot to the touch. It burns your toes kind of thing, you know, and then out you step on a goat head and that really hurts and it still smarts for the rest of your walk home, right? You want to get that kind of landscape or that emotion, you know, that, that same tone. And they really, the mentors really help to find, help you find your voice, really what it is, because your unique voice is going to connect with someone. May not be like a New York Times bestseller kind of thing, like Tommy Orange or um, Therese Malat, but, you know, somewhere out there, the person that you're writing for, if it's your daughter or your grandmother, um, it's making that connection. So it's a very emotional work. Um, it's very intense in that regard, in addition to the academic struggle of doing that all in one week. And then for the rest of the semester, you know, you're kind of left on your own to deal with not only your, your, uh, your manuscript, whether it's like poetry or your novel or your um, memoir or your script, um, you meet deadlines throughout the semester with your um, mentor, but then you've got every other day. I mean, I've got like a nine-year-old and a single mom, right? Um, got my job. And like I said, I you know, dealing with anxiety and depression stuff. So it's just like, oh, I'm not a writer. <laughs> yes, you are. No, you're not. Um, and then just, you know, any other kinds of things that pop up. So it's, 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 a, it's a great program. Um, it's not for everybody but it's also to me like the best program mm -hmm. for two years you do that for two years for two years <clears throat> wow it's intense well that for that week like i think i remember some people taking that when i was there but you know i don't i just partied when i was there so <laughs> no i'm just kidding <laughs> no. no but i didn't get to finish there but um when I was there, though, you know, you talk about kind of 
you said you felt like this kind of like out of placement, I guess, because you were you were trying to learn, you know, your language and everything. And and for me, when I went there, I mean, I wouldn't even like at that time I was 19, so I wasn't interested in that. But, you know, I was going to the school and I didn't know anything about it. I just knew it was called American Institute of American Indian Arts. That's all I knew about it. And but when I got there, you know, I, I've said this before, it, it was a shock to me that a lot of, you know, people my age that knew their language, their culture, ceremonies. I mean, they knew like all kind of stuff. And they even spoke like when we went to, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, dang, you, you go there in the mornings and you meet everybody, but you, damn it, I forgot the fucking word for that. But it's um, the center you mean one of the places? It's uh, bon uh no, 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 dang, I forgot. Ah, I just had the word, but we had to wake up every morning and go to these uh, not workshops, but it was just kind of like meeting everybody. Um, we had to wake up at like 6 a.m. and be there by 7. And then we had to uh, all set up, all freshmen, we all just sit up in this area and just introduce Orientation? Orientation. That's right. Could not think of that word, but orientation. So a lot of, lot of, a lot of people were like getting up and they're, they were um, introducing, introducing themselves in their own language. And I was like, oh, damn, am I supposed to do that, too? Like, I didn't know if I was supposed to do that or not. So, you know, and then and I was like, you know, there was like a lot of people, a lot of kids, you know, that knew that. And I was just kind of like, wow, you know, like here I am. And I just speak English like (laughs) and I thought, you know, I thought I'd be judged or whatever. But everybody was cool. You know, it was a it was a it was a great community to grow up in um, away from home. I thought, you know, to be, to go from a, this 19 year old kid to just all these crazy experiences and meeting new people and, and just becoming like a, a little adult, you know, and because once you go there, you know, you're by yourself and, but I mean, it was a, it was a great place to be, you know, and I always hold that place, you know, very close to my heart because, had I not left Pawnee, I don't know what would happen to me, but going there, you know, I met so many amazing people, teachers, professors, whatever you want to call them. And, and I, you know, I still keep in contact with people from there today, you know, and, and there's a lot of people that are out there doing amazing things that went to that school, you know, artwork, movies, music. I mean, they're all out there killing it, you know, and it's so inspirational, you know, and it's still going on, you know, and, you went there a couple of years ago and to hear about your experience there, how welcoming it was and everything, it's still the same, you know, and that's, that's always a great thing to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I've heard some people that it was, it was tough, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think that things being tough is necessarily like uh, specific to like any one particular place. I mean, me going to college, you know, on the East coast was, brutal you know it wasn't that that was not the experience for some other people right you know that it was just specifically for me and maybe some other people also had a had a hard time you know being there um but like uh 
you know, being away from home is very, can be very stressful, can be very traumatizing. And I know that that was the way it was for me when I went to college on the East Coast um, for various reasons, not including uh, specifically ha not having ties to my culture. Cause I didn't really actually even have ties to my culture. Then when I left, it was more just like uh, being away from home um, and not having that same, I guess, uh, way of living you know, that it was over there, but, mm -hmm. you know, I just, um, I'm super entirely grateful to IAIA and the community that I found there, some, some really great friends, some really um, inspiring folks, like you said, uh, have gone to, to this place, and one of the, um, I mean, he, I don't, I don't know if he was actually a mentor at site. I don't think so. But Stephen Graham Jones, I know he was uh, one of the readers, like he read something. And if you look up his uh, letter to young up and coming writers, I think it's what it's called. It's just such a beautiful speech. Um, and, you know, he, he talks about, you know, going into a bookstore and just painting the, all the shelves in red. Um, and, you know, that we're not just native writers and we have this tiny little shelf and, you know, just like we got all of the genres, poetry and nonfiction, science or whatever. And it's just like, oh, because we're native, we just take up this little space. He's no, he's like, we're just going to paint the whole, the whole thing red. And again, to that whole idea of novelty um, is just, you know, our experiences are a part of the human experience period. It's not just something that only native in some ways, I know that that's like maybe like a, a point of contention, but it's like not just something that, you know, we specifically, uh, we, we are human beings, we have our own lives. Um, we live similarly to a bunch of other people, but we also do have our cultural practices, our language. Um, and, uh, you know, it's important that we have a safe space to be able to explore that. And I, I feel like I did get that as going to school there. To be yeah. able to explore, you know, different aspects of it, different degrees of, of um, acceptance, you know, for who I am and, and from where I'm at in my, my journey of being a Native person in America and in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's great that they, that even you feel like that, you know, and I'm sure it's changed so much. I mean, you, you got your, you said screenwriting, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, see, when I went there, they were just barely like getting into a filmmaking program and it was called, I think it was just called New Media Arts. Oh, and, wow. I, and I hear now it's called Cinematic Arts, I believe. Okay. I think so. I don't know. <laughs> fancy, fancy words. <laughs> fancy, yeah. So that's why I tell people now. Oh, I went there for cinematic arts, <laughs> not new media arts. But I mean, yeah, you know, it's um, yeah, it, it created that safe space, you know. And I mean, it was just God. I I mean, me and my friends that we just we just talk about memories from there all the time, good and bad, you know, because we were all we were all like together during the bad times, good times. I mean, you know, it's so crazy that that, it seems like yesterday, but it happened so 
long ago. So, I mean, but you're talking about being on the East Coast, too, and that's where you went for geology? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was crazy. Again, I don't know. I just have, like, these really... I don't want to say that they're horrible decisions. I say that tongue-in-cheek. I had this horrible idea of, like, not going anywhere in New Mexico because I wanted to get the hell out of here. Mm. Um, New Mexico had nothing for me. <laughs> and so I decided that I was going to get as far away from New Mexico as possible. And, um, yeah, I, you know, one of the native programs, I think is like, I forget what the, what the program's called, like Horizons, Native Horizons, maybe, um, was a program that was offered in high school that allowed you to go for the summer, like workshops and figure out like how to apply to like Ivy League type colleges. And so you had to apply to the program and then I got in, it was like the juniors and seniors. And so I met like some random person, a representative from Yale. And that's when I fell in love with Yale. And I was like, oh, they have a, they have a Native American program. You know, that's when I first found out about Dartmouth. Cause you know, at that point, the only thing that was um, available to me was like UNM. And there's nothing wrong with UNM, but it was just like, there has to be something else out there besides UNM. My, my brother went to um, Northern New Mexico College. Again, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's just like I wanted more. I wanted out. You know, I wanted to have go to those brick, uh, brick buildings that I saw in the movies with the white pillars and stuff, you know, and, and have that kind of experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like, you know, I've been to Northern New Mexico College since I was six years old. My mom took classes there. My sister and brother took classes there. My both, my sister and my brother both graduated from there um, with different degrees. And I actually also graduated from there. But I was like, I wanted something else. And so um, this guy from Yale was like, oh, you should apply. And so I, I ended up not applying to Yale, but I did fall in love with the East Coast, not knowing what kind of environment it was very fast paced in comparison to New Mexico very different mindset it was all about success and push 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 and you know trying to squeeze out what I don't want to say happiness squeeze out all the last bit of you know productivity and efficiency and you know this is the place where they churn out um academic scholars and stuff and especially like the New England area and I was not uh adept to that I pretty much sunk in that environment because I was not used to that kind of push I was not used to that mindset that was a completely different cultural mindset than I had been raised with especially in northern New Mexico so in addition to like you know the underlying anxiety depression stuff that I didn't realize I had when I was that age um but then also being away from home and then the academic pressures it just was a recipe oh and I had a boyfriend that I had here still in high school when I went away to college which is not a thing to do break up with them break up with them um it just set me up for disaster and um it's just not not a fun time, not a good time. But I still like the college. Um, it's had its issues, but I still like the college. I still think it was a great place. I still think I made a, a, a wise decision to graduate it and push to graduate from there. Um, you know, I just 
wish maybe that I had set myself up for uh, success. I wish that I had been set up for success. And, um, you know, going to, to circle back to something else, you know, which is partially the reason why um, as a filmmaker and me having found filmmaking and acting quote later on in my life, I enjoy and um, pursue trying to be able to help other people and especially um, younger people, but it doesn't matter what age. I, my, I inspired my dad to, to do screenwriting, so he's in his 70s. But I think that if I had the kind of role models that I, you know, the, the kind of role models that would have helped me succeed or, you know, I would have seen, it wouldn't have been as difficult or maybe it would have, wouldn't have been as long. It wouldn't have been such a struggle and challenge, but I needed those to understand what it was worth to come out through them, you know, both academically um, in that environment on the East Coast with trying to figure out, oh, I'll study geology. seems like the cool science to do. Um, and then also, you know, somehow landing up in Navajo Nation and then somehow finding my way to doing acting and then finding that this is actually my true passion that I want to do. That it ends up being just a, a storyteller, which if you look at it in another context, it's just another aspect of being a native person in this environment, telling stories and or just being a human being. But all through that journey that I had, um, I can tell those stories and I, I hope to maybe, I can't live other people's experiences and I can't live their lives and I can only just advise and give my input, but you know, hey, if you want to do this, go for it. I encourage you to do it. If this is what you feel like you want to do and there's someone holding you back and saying, you know, don't do it, I'll be the one saying you can. You know, don't let circumstances hold you back from doing something that you're passionate about or that you love. Um, and that was the other thing too. Gosh, I'm all over the place, but like the support that I needed to pursue acting wasn't there in my relationship with my daughter's father, who was my then husband. Um, and that wasn't the reason I left, but you know, that was the breaking point for that relationship. I did not have the support I needed to pursue something that meant so much to me. That gave me life, that gave me joy, that was a part of who I was, was just not, uh, just, that was heartbreaking. But I'm glad it was heartbreaking because that was the final thing that said, that propelled me to leave that relationship that wasn't going anywhere and was not, you know, in the long run, good for my daughter. And, you know, from then on, it was just a series of me making more decisions that fulfilled me. Um, looking back on it, like I said, to see if I had been set up for success, things might have been different. And it's just, everything just keeps circling back to, you know, I love to help people. I love to connect with people. I try to do that through my writing. I try to do that through my acting. I want to be a producer to be able to help other people tell their stories. I want to be able to have lots of money <laughs> to be able to help other people tell their stories, backing, financing, finding the resources to do it, providing advice, troubleshooting, figuring out the challenges and the difficulties of one thing or another. 
um, but in a way that I can financially support my daughter and myself um, so that we can experience things that I wanted to experience younger, you know, like having a nice house or traveling and exploring the world and again, connecting with more people in a different environment and different cultures. Um, so we can have more stories to tell. It's just everything just cycles back to um, the thing that fulfills you, the thing that brings you joy, the thing that um, when you're on the right path, things just seem easier to do, I guess, in some ways. And um, God, yeah, East Coast. <laughs> I keep going off you know, on a tangent. <laughs> Oh, that's good though. But I mean, <clears throat> you shifted into, you know, your acting and earlier what you said was, you know, you, you, you went ahead and you, you went all in on yourself. You had to bet on yourself, you know, and I think that's important because that's what you have to do. You know, you have to, you have to do that. You have to put all the chips in on yourself. And even if nobody believes in you, you got to believe in yourself, you know, because there's going to be, there's going to be times where, you feel like nobody's there for you or nobody's like even cares about what you're doing or your what what you feel passionate about in this life and you just have to go ahead and do it and all right you know i'm the only one that believes i can do this so yeah you know that's that's what's going to happen and it's going to happen you know and you have to you have to speak positivity you have to think positively you have to just keep walking you know, you just have to keep going and walking and, you know, and like you said earlier too, like you're always at a, you're never in a state of you learned it all. You're always going to be in a state of you're still learning. You're still failing. You're still climbing. You're still reaching. You're still doing all of this stuff to where, you know, there's no, there's no end to learning. There's no end to any of that stuff, you know, no matter who you are, you know, like, um, if you're a black belt in jiu-jitsu, like you're still learning, you know, you're still learning, you're still getting beat. You're still, there's always someone that's like better than you. And I mean, that's just the way it goes, you know, and, and I, you know, and you bring that up and I, you know, it's the same thing, you know, it's like, I try to tell people like, just don't care about what people think, what they say, what they feel, what, however, what they're doing. You know, because this is you, like, this is your life. You have to do what you want to do. And the only way you're going to figure that out is if you do it and figure out what it is you want to do, you know, and, and that's important what you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it really, I actually had like a moment, uh, you know, I'm like, and I, I, what I do is I call things in. I'm like, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm ready for like a new lesson. I'm, I want to learn as much as I can. I want to get rid of as much grief from my, from my ancestors as possible. I don't want to be handing anything else that is unnecessary to my daughter. All I want for her is to be able to just enjoy life burden free. I know that that's probably like a tall order, but you know, I don't want her to have to go through half her life trying to figure out who she is I mean we all do anyways but I mean just like with grief you know not feeling like enough not feeling like oh I I can't do this you know fear I don't want fear to lead her and I'm trying to make it so that fear doesn't lead me and um 
I, uh, so I call instinct. I'm like, okay, I want to learn a new new lesson. I want to, I want to learn more about this. How can I be a better version of myself? What, what is, what's on the menu today? You know, universe creator, what do you've got for me? And um, sometimes it just hits me all of a sudden and then I'm a pool of tears. I'm not kidding. It's just probably like really super emotional, crazy person, but like, I'll just be in a pool of tears because then all of a sudden I'll like, you know, I'll I'll realize something. And I had one of those episodes the other day, I was out uh, collecting rocks with one of my friends, uh, kind of sort of like a little bit of a rock date. Um, And uh, I came back home and, you know, I was telling my mom and this has just been you know, for me all the time, I have so many blessings, so many things that have been happening that's been good in my life. Um, you know, my career is okay. Uh, as far as an actor, you know, I've been doing pretty good. Um, you know, screenwriting, I really need to get back to writing, but there's also some possibly really good news on the screenwriting front for me as well. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to do my best to be a really good mom, you know, and I could be doing better, but you know, my relationship with her, I think, is probably better than mine was when I was my age with my mom. And, you know, um, I have a house. There's just so many blessings. You know, I'm renting it, but there's, I have a house and we have a place to live. And it's better than the hole in the wall that we used to live in during the pandemic. And, you know, um, and there's like a new thing in my life. There's like potential love and romance that I had been wanting for such a really long time. But it was just like, I feel like I, I tell my mom, I feel like I have to give up something. Like there's a sacrifice in order for me to get the thing that I really want. And I feel like I have to choose out of all of these, especially as a woman, I feel like it's always a battle to choose the one thing that's the most important. Do I choose to be a good mom? Do I choose to have a good career? Do I choose to have, you know, like the money? Or do I choose to have the relationship? You know, like what, there has to be a choice. Um, at least that's the way it felt. And I was like, I don't know what's more important. I know my daughter is the most important, but I, I also would really love to have a caring, supportive partner in my life. I really do, because I feel like if I have that, then then I can also like let her see that it's possible to have that. You know, I haven't had that for such a long time. She, she needs to know what it's like to have that. So it's like really important to me. But I also want to have money and I also want to have fame and not necessarily for the fame for myself, but because I want to help people. I want people to be like, oh, this is a dead ball project. You know, we're all in, you know, she's involved. We're doing it. Okay. You know, sign the check. We're doing this. That's why I want the fame. Um, you know, and then, and then of course the house and everything, but that relationship was just like really high up there and there's like a possibility. So I was like, what am I going to have to sacrifice? And then all of a sudden it was just like, I couldn't get it out. And I'm like, you know, if anyone's ever been in therapy things, you know, sometimes like, well, where do you feel it? And it was just like this thing in the chest. It was like, I couldn't breathe. And I said, it just feels like I'm out in the middle of the ocean on a boat. There's no land in sight. And the thing that I have to do, it feels like I have to just jump into the ocean. Just jump. I'm like, can, I told my mom, can you imagine just being out in the middle of the ocean? Nothing else, just you in that boat, but you have to jump. That's the only thing, like to save you or whatever. I have no idea, but you have to jump. Ugh, especially if you're trying to jump off the Titanic, that's a long ways to go. And there's no, nothing else in sight. 
that's what it feels like. I said, I feel like I'm alone in the middle of the woods and I'm by myself and I have to figure this out. And then words just kind of came to my head and it was just like, trust yourself, trust yourself, trust yourself. And so I just had like a moment where I was like, <gasps> you know, and I'm crying and I'm scared her, scared my dog, scared everybody. And you know, I just needed to get it out because that was my truth coming out. This whatever deep resonating thing, just trust yourself. It's okay to do that. It's totally okay. What you need to do. That's the thing that you need to do to jump off the boat is to trust yourself. It's so hard sometimes to just be like, people think I'm crazy because I want to do this, this, and this, because I want to have, a, because I want to have it all, because I love this one particular person. And they think that, you know, he's not great or whatever it is, or, you know, like you're, you're doing something wrong or, you know, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, no, this is my life. And I'm out in the middle of the woods and it's my decision. It's what I need to do, what I know I need. You know, I know how far I can run. Maybe you can't run that far, but I know I can run that far. And this is when I'm going to need some water. And this is what I have. And this is, you know, I, I know myself enough to know to trust me. And then a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in years happened to be at Target the other day. And I was going to go home, but I decided to make the journey to Target instead to run errands. So I knew I was going to go home. I was going to get stuck. And I wasn't going to be able to do the errands. And I'd be too tired. And then the end of the day would be shocked. And I go to Target and my friend who I've not seen in years was standing right there. And this is a guy who all through middle school and high school had been my best friend. And he's just hard to get a hold of. And he has a new family and it was just such a good blessing to see him. This blessing that um, I encountered because of the decision that I made, I was rewarded with a blessing because of the decision that I made. And then I was talking to my professor friend, um, the same one who encouraged me to go to IAI. And I said, all of this is trying to make sense. You know, there's like the sacrifice that needs to be made, but I have to trust myself. But then there's these blessings when I make a decision. I said, I figured it out. The sacrifice that I need to make is the sacrifice of fear. Because when I let go of that fear that I can't do everything, that I can't have it all, that all these that nothing is possible when I let go of that fear that that's driving me that there, that I have to choose one that's all I have to sacrifice is just that fear that it's not going to happen because right now I have a relationship I want I am being a good mother I have a great career I have a job I have a house you know I know some that might sound like a lot to some people who may be struggling right now you know but I just looked at all the things that were going really well, are really well right now. And as of right now, in this instant, everything is beautiful. I have this like sense of lojol, I think, this balance, except for my house is a mess. <laughs> Not quite balanced there. <laughs> Maybe that's a part of the sacrifice. But, um, I was like, yeah. And like, it was just like this lift, this something like lifted off of me. It was just, that was it. The sacrifice in that theory that those things are impossible. It's possible. I have what I want. So anyway, that, that journey of trusting yourself came full to me, you know, as of the, as of this past week, that was, that was the thing I've been working on this past week that I've been 
struggling with and you know it's it seems odd to some degree to me because you know you hear it all the time you hear the same phrase all the time trust yourself do what you need to do you're the only one but sometimes it, it has to actually make sense it has to actually resonate like a tuning fork it has to actually you know you have to feel it in that vibration of where you're at and I felt it this week I really truly did and if I forget, you know, try to remember that that's what it's all about. Sacrifice the fear. That's what I'm putting on my altar is all the fear that I can't live an amazing, wonderful life just now, even with the messy house, you know? Um, that was my profound thought. Well, I mean, you know, you talk about sacrificing that fear and I mean, it's true. You know, you that's something you just have to give up um, and not ever look back at that again, because as humans, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy as humans. Like there's that old saying of, you know, Oh man, all this good stuff's happening, but what's lurking to take it away or what's lurking, you know, to make it a bad thing or something, you know, there's always that human thought and I don't even know where that came from, but it's so, normalized to where everybody thinks that way you know like man this can't keep going on when is it going to stop but i mean you have to not think like that you know you have to just roll with the punches you know and i used to be like that i used to be like ah man all this stuff's happening and it's like uh something something's crazy something crazy is going to happen you know and i mean and i can't think like that you know like we deserve everything that comes our way you know we we're capable of getting everything that we want you know nothing's impossible and that sounds crazy to some people yeah you know i've had people tell me like oh it's bullshit you know it's like it's not you know you just have to take a leap of faith you just have to jump off that boat you just have to jump off that ledge that cliff and fall you have to fall and yeah you know you might keep falling or you might hit rock bottom but i mean that's what comes with it too you know do you want to i'm not saying like working a 40-hour job for somebody's bad you know because that's what a lot of people do you know to pay to make bills and stuff but i look at it like i can create something of my own and it have some kind of purpose and reach a lot of people or i can just do the normal thing of working for somebody else to fund their dream and make them whatever it is they want, you know, and, and there's no real opportunity in that, you know, I mean, there might be some, like I worked for a casino and that was hard to go up into the uh, upper management or whatever, you know, and then once you do that, it's more bullshit, but you know, I mean, I, I can't, there, I always knew there was more, there was always more than that, you know, but I just never knew how to just do it. And I mean, but it. What well, once you do it, once you figure out, like, like once you figure out the thing you want to try and you love doing it and you keep doing it, no matter what, then you start to realize, like, oh shit, like this is real, you know, like this whole positive thinking, this whole manifestation, this whole I'm gonna keep doing this. I deserve all this. I deserve everything that these other people have. You know, and I mean, it's real, you know, it's, it's just, 
it just takes this, you know, your mind, you have to think, you have to, what is it, mind over matter? Is that, is that, am I using that right? You know, you have to, you have to just think this way, you know, there's no, like, I don't even think about like what, what bad thing can happen. You know, if it happens then cool, I'm, I'm going to take it as a lesson. I'm going to take it as, you know, maybe I wasn't supposed to do something that day, you know, and I mean, I, or maybe I don't even look at it, you know, but I mean, I still move forward with whatever it, you know, whatever it is I'm doing, you know? And I mean, your story about sacrificing that fear, that's, that's, that's it. You know, you have to not fear what people think. Um, maybe the bad stuff that comes with whatever it is you're taking in. I mean, it, there's the fear is so real, you know, it stops you from being who you are, you know, and being you is so genuine. And that's what it that's, that's all you need to be is you and show everybody who you are. And I mean, that's what I've learned so far. And I'm only a year and a half of thinking like this. And I mean, everybody I've met, though, it's the same thought process you know and it's beautiful it's a beautiful thing to see and i mean you know hats off to you you know because you deserve all that you know you don't have to sacrifice one thing or to make room for this other thing you know you deserve everything that you want and that you're capable of getting you know and i'm happy that you realize that thank you yeah it was just um yeah it's just amazing, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I hope, I hope everyone gets to that point where they can see that, you know, um, and, you know, I grew up in a Christian um, household, and so my mom still talks to me about Jesus, and I, I, I have since, you know, kind of departed from that, that way of thinking, but I still do draw similarities between, you know, what I had learned you know, there was, there was this thing in the, in the Bible about Jesus talking to one of the, I think it was Peter and, you know, getting off the boat and saying, you know, just keep your eyes on me mm-hmm. and, you know, you can walk on water. And I think that resonates. I should tell my mom because she'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that resonates, you know, that when we are focused on the beauty of life in general, you know, it's, it's amazing. There's nothing to fear. But once we lose that focus and we start listening to the whispers or, you know, other things, we're going to fall in the water. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. And I think that's, that is connected to that jumping off that boat that fear of actually believing that that's a reality. Because how on earth could you possibly believe that there's so much goodness to embrace? And it's, it's, it, it, I can even feel it right here. It's like, oh, and it's like an arrow through my heart. How is it possible? But I would much rather you know, I'm also like a logical science. I would much rather embrace that feeling of that freedom of that possibility than being living like, you know, is it what's going to happen next? I would rather walk with that confidence of like, it's good, you know, like not, 
it's not like an arrogance. It's just, I think just being really in tune. It's not an arrogance, it's just being in tune. And when you have that in tuneness, you're stepping in, you know, that to me also it draws my mind, you know, that why do we wear moccasins or why are we go bare, barefoot? Because then we, we touch the earth. And then when we're telling the earth that we're here, we're, you know, when we are present, then the earth and the universe responds and just similar to, oh my God, to that elder telling me, welcome home. I feel it's that same connection that we can step in confidence and touch the earth and be present to the earth and be living in balance. It's like the earth, the mother earth and father sky, the creator of the universe is telling us, you've come back to us. That's magic. That's the whole thing right there. That's it. That's beauty. That's love. That's everything. Yeah. Don't need anything else. <laughs> yeah. 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 People don't know how powerful they are. You know, like we're, we're powerful beings and, you know, it just takes getting out of that mindset, you know, that we're accustomed to, you know, and, and finding, finding that higher level of thought or belief or whatever it is, you know, and you bring up that, the Bible, you know, like just keep your eyes on me. And that's a good um, similarity to just keeping your eyes on them, not the prize, but whatever it is you're you're going for you know whether it be an artist an actor a podcaster a radio dj whatever it is you know just keep looking at that and don't get distracted by the haters or the naysayers or just people that don't believe in you in general because you know they don't matter you know and then the right people will come to you in a community and you can grow and build with those people too you know, and I mean, it's, it's all about finding each other too, you know, and I mean, like you said, I wish more people would think like this, you know, I'm, it'd be, it'd be a world full of just, you know, I don't even, I don't even think like negativity would even be a thing, you know, it'd be, everybody <laughs> would be so happy and, but I mean, there's, there's so much stress and anxiety that goes on in this world too. And I get it, you know, like, you know, not everybody, you know, can do what we're, what we're doing, you know, because, you know, they do have a lot more stuff going on, but I mean, if, if they just figure out, you know, like, yeah, it's possible because it's tough, you know, it's tough. I'm not going to sit here and say, it's not tough. You know, there's, I've failed a lot. I failed a lot. I've overcame so many just fears of my own and putting myself out there and vulnerability. And I mean, there's so much work that goes into this, you know, and people don't, they don't see the work. They just see like what I'm doing. Like, like now, you know, i got live shows. I got a premiere to go to because I was on Indian Elvis on the res, you know, I was, I got episodes coming out weekly. I got another podcast going on, you know, and I'm meeting like all these people like yourself, I'm networking, you know, and I'm bringing people. I want, I, I do want people to know like, yo, anything is possible. You know, you don't have to, limit yourself you know and i mean you know everything you brought up you know it was it's just true yeah it's um it's been it's been a huge 
wake up call. Um, and I'm just grateful that, you know, um, I get to, you know, the thing that drives me and, and, and fuels my soul as a human being on this earth is the storytelling is the, is the acting, man. I just, I love it. I love, I love all the aspects of it. Um, it's so, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, I don't want to say second feeling to like being a gardener. I remember, um, this is like a weird tangent, but like, I remember waking up and uh, in the early morning when I was, you know, with my, then my, my, my daughter's father and I loved waking up to go outside to see the garden, the dew on the leaves and the flowers pointed towards the sun and the tendrils of the pea, you know, going in. It's just, they have their little life and it was just so peaceful to be in that garden. And I just loved waking up to go see him. And again, I'm an anxious, depressive person. So like getting me out of bed sometimes is a huge deal. So those, that garden, that being there with them and touching them and smelling the tomato plants in the dew in the morning was just so wonderful. It just brought me alive. And then here's the sound hole. Be like, you spend too much time in the garden. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so similarly, as much as I love the garden and I don't get to have a garden right now because I'm so busy, it's, it's that same alive feeling, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That same fire of being on set and getting to work with Zon McCorgan, you know, getting to work with Kiowa, um, getting to work with Ryan, you know, and, and just being on, just going there, reset, do it all over again, tears, screaming, yelling, hitting, whatever it is that they want me to do, I'll do it. I'm, I'm game. I'm happy. You know, if it's freezing cold, bring me a, a warming blanket and put me in the trailer again. But like, I'm on fire for it. I love it. It's what brings me alive. And I'm just so thankful that, you know, one, my daughter helped me find my voice. Um, she needed to be in this world. And then two, just that I trusted myself enough to like, there's still that little tiny flame in there that was saying, you know, this is not the kind of life you need and do something different. And um, you know, I had for so long told myself that I didn't know what my was that my compass is wrong. It was mostly in my stuff that I'm talking about, like in my relationships. You know, my compass is wrong in my relationships, and and um, kept trying to tell myself to be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about, and not trusting myself, right? Um, and so I shut a lot of me down. But then there was still that spark, that flame that was like, no, you want to go over here. So I went over there and then it happened to be the storytelling and the acting that was just, like, you know, that was that oxygen, that breath of life that brought it out to me finding out the answer to the meaning of life, to finding out the meaning of love. And yes, the overwhelming response was, you can trust yourself. You've had it in you all along. What happened was that the world told you not to trust yourself. And you got to shut that one down. 
And I switched, I, I started believing in myself, believing in my compass, believing in that fire, connecting with it. And so then, like you're saying, it's resonating. Man, it's so, you know, role, role model. Yes, maybe this guy that I was talking to kept saying I was a model. You know, maybe he's getting mixed up with some role model part of it. You know, I, um, if there's anything that I could do to help other people and encourage them to listen to themselves as opposed to listening to the world, do that. You know, I encourage that. Yeah, same here. I definitely encourage that. It's a makes a world of difference and it's just it's i don't know it, it's just crazy to you know i know some people oh you know that that's nothing but i mean it's got it because that's what i used to think too all these people that talk like that it was like like that's crazy that's nonsense like that's that's so weird you know it's a weird way of thinking but i mean it's not you know like you just have to realize like you are powerful and and I mean, there's there's another level. There's always another level. And I mean, look at where you're at. You know, you, you just said you're working with Zahn and Kiowa and, and Ryan, Buns and Guns. <laughs> <laughs> I never would have imagined being where I'm at, you know, but like, again, like I'll just, to, just to beat that poor horse. Um. Yeah, it's just, if I hadn't listened to myself, and now making another little quick connection, you know, I didn't listen to myself until I, until I got pregnant. And, and I always kind of tried to make, I try to make sense of it. But now I realize just listening to myself talk, you know, there's this, there's this thing that maybe it's resonating again with all other pregnant females. But, you know, I wasn't the kind of person when I was growing up that had a lot of really healthy boundaries. So, you know, the environment that my, the, the friend circle that my, that my daughter's father had, I would say it probably wasn't all that great. And, you know, I also just got myself into circumstances on my own that probably weren't that great. But you know, I just, I guess, whether romantic love or just being accepted love, you know, I was looking for that, you know, because I didn't have healthy boundaries. And so the thing that happened, though, is that when I got pregnant, I, and I found out I had was having a baby, I remember going into the grocery store and going and getting a bottle of, uh, prenatal vitamins like the good kind like the expensive like kind that were like $30 you know because one of the good stuff and I was just like not sure if I wanted to have honestly I wasn't sure if I wanted to have the baby after the fact I mean I know that's dumb but those are the thoughts that I'm being honest about I was like do I do I really even want to have I kind of sort of have no choice because that's how it was brought up but I also have to actively make a choice that this is what I'm going to do. And so I tell I told my daughter and I told other people that when I decided to buy that bottle, I was actively making a choice for myself that I was going to do the 
best I could to make sure that this baby was going to be healthy. Um, I wasn't going to do, I was like, if this God's will, for whatever reason that I don't have, that this baby does not turn out to be a baby born, so be it. But I, in my mind, in my conscious decision, was going to do what I could to do what I could for this baby to be born healthy and alive and do the best I could as a mom. And I, that voice just kept getting stronger. And I think that probably might have been the first instance of a healthy boundary where I knew I needed to protect the child that was growing inside me from the things that were not so good. And I started making decisions. And that was one of them was who we hung out with and what kinds of behaviors I was going to be okay with. And that voice just kept getting stronger and stronger. That this behavior was not acceptable. That this environment was not acceptable. This is not what we're eating. Her voice became my voice, became the amplifying thing that made it so that I was starting to create healthier boundaries for myself and for her because I couldn't do it on my own. I needed a reason and the reason was this baby. I needed to protect this baby. That was the healthy boundary that I started creating. And so then from there, it just kind of started to be, you know, inside out that I was protecting this baby. This was the boundary. Do not enter here. Do not touch the belly. Do not, you know, all these things. You cannot do X, Y, and Z. To the point where like now the boundary is outside of me. And then so therefore that boundary just kept growing and growing and growing into the point where I decided that this is not the environment I wanted her to, to grow up in either. To the point where then like, you know, being in relationships that maybe not. That's the challenge me to create even healthier boundaries to the point where like you know my boundaries are pretty pretty unfuckwithable at this point and that was all because of her and probably one last little story and that's the reason why I got my tattoo you can't really see it uh, but anyways it's a rose it's a picture that she drew on my oh, nice. Okay. On my forearm. Not sure. That's good. It's upside down, but and um I got that. I got have another one on my back, but it's interesting because that one's of an angel, a fairy that's got spikes on it and she's got her tongue out like like that. So it's you know, in, in some native cultures like Maori culture, you know, that's like a, a a warrior face. So I kind of liked that that was an accident. And placement is everything, which mm. I, you know, I it took me a long time to get a tattoo. I know this is going into a different tangent, but like, so my tattoo is on my left shoulder. It's behind me. I can't see it, but the left side is always what protects my heart. And so my idea when I first decided to get this tattoo is I just love the image, but it's, I realized that where I got it was covering, protecting my back. She's got my back. She's a fairy with spikes. Don't fuck with her. Um, you know, we think of fairies as fragile creatures, but she's not. She's a warrior and she's, she's, she's protecting me. And then, so too, 
uh, this tattoo that I got, my daughter put some face paint on my arm and I was like, oh, I guess that's my second tattoo. And I got it like four days. I didn't realize it was four days before I got the role for the dark, the dark wind, which is something you always do. Have a conflict of interest and then you'll book the job. And tattoos are kind of conflict of interest because then the makeup person has to, to, to cover it. But like, so I had scheduled it already, but I told the artist, you know, I, want, I wanted this particular thing and she could help me figure it out. And so she, it was a collaboration between my daughter, me and her. And um, I like it um, because it's on the left side again, heart. And the explanation that I came up with is that, you know, oftentimes, um, people say, you know, you wear your heart on your sleeve, right? Well, they also say that kids are, you know, your heart outside of your body. And um, also we wear our wedding rings on our left side of our bodies, on our left hand. And, you know, not all the time people wear wedding rings, but it's, and, and we don't necessarily need to have the wedding ring, but it's a symbol outwardly to other people that, you know, you're married and you're off limits right or that you have a promise and it's also to remind you that you made a promise to someone else so for me to have my tattoo of that my daughter drew on my left hand in front of me where I can see it is a reminder to me that with everything I do my success is because of her when I include her in my choices that I make that is when I will be the most successful no matter what I do because I am reminded I mean sometimes it's like oh well you don't you have a kid of course you have to take care of them no if if you're gonna I I think that's just a bullshit thing you know oftentimes we make choices without our kids in mind oftentimes we don't want to make choices with our kids in mind is any of those things okay or right you know but I just wanted to remind myself hey you know and to tell other people too. And you know, as I'm telling the story, I'm also reminding myself that that's the truth. She's important to me. She's always been important to me. She's probably been with me before she was even born. How did she just pop out of thin air? You know, women are the, the vessels for like, you know, the spirit to take on physical form. You know, I'm the vessels for her to take on her physical form. But she's probably, always been with me and so I just need to listen to her and make sure to include her and I'm reminded of my success when I'm focused with her in mind (laughs) that's great you know it's I love that you know and, and that's the right thing to do you know it is it really is you you keeping her in mind and yeah you know some some parents they'll just go off and won't even give a shit about their kid you know and they'll make all these crazy choices and stuff and just be selfish you know and and you're you're proving that you know it don't have to be like that you know and i mean some yeah some parents aren't ready for a kid but you have to step up when that happens you know and so i don't know my mom was like more of a still trying to I don't know. She just liked to party and stuff. And she did that with me and my brother. And it wasn't the best time growing up. And I was always alone, you know, but 
I always had stuff to do, you know, I was left with a video game in front of me. So what did I care? You're right. So, but I mean, you know, it's just stuff like that, you know, and I mean, I know she's gonna thank you later on for always, you know, involving her and thinking of her and, you know, because this, this freaking acting life, this life that you you're doing right now, you know, it's big, you know, it's important. And to know, like, you know, fuck, if my mom did that and brought me along, I've been like, oh, man, thank you for all this. <laughs> thank, you, thank you for all this stuff that you got from acting. <laughs> thank you for introducing me to Uncle Zahn. <laughs> yeah, 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 thank you. Zahn, Kiowa, and Ryan. No. <laughs> yeah, no. But it's just, you know, and then just kind of even now, again, now that I'm talking, it just realized some other things that just came up to my mind, you know, like they say, um, our inner child, right? You know, and I just, I tell people that I'm mentoring or, you know, whatever that spark was, you love playing in the mud. No one told you, oh, wow, you're, you're doing such a great job playing with the mud. It's just like, you love doing it. It made you feel good. You were connected. You were there. You're present. You're just enjoying life. Um, so for me to follow the child to monastery philosophy principle, I was trained as a monastery teacher, but, you know, you follow the child, meaning you see what sparks their curiosity and you do your best to continue that progression. And so with her and, you know, following the child and following your inner child and what did your inner child want to do and all this inner child work you know it seems very hippie and very new agey and it's good though it's good stuff if you haven't seen uh turning red that's a really good cartoon to see to know and understand that concept of inner child work but when we heal that inner child that was needing something when we were when they were growing up and you're connecting with it and then you're following it you're seeing where that child goes you you will be successful and i think that thought you know separated from the actual physical child of my daughter but actually also that she's a representation of my healing work that i need to do you know when i am able to follow where that child is and where they are and to to nurture and culture that child following the child when you're following the child you're successful i think that that might have some resonance i have to look into it but that was just the thought that came to my mind just now. <laughs> so. yeah I, I mean yeah i mean it's yeah what you're saying i mean it's i i don't know i think i think back like like um like you talk about like that inner child right like we I was talking about this with somebody, but once we get older, we lose that, you know, that imagination, that playing in the mud, right? You don't even know why you did it. You just did it because it was fun or whatever. And then, but once we were talking about before, you know, the world, you know, there's a certain way you got to act once you start becoming older. Like you can't play around with like toys or whatever. You can't, you can't run outside and play tag like you you have to now be a certain type of way because you know you're growing and you're becoming older but i mean i was talking about with somebody and they were like you know you just you shouldn't lose all of that you know because if you get into acting too you got to become in this mind just like 
certain space in your head to where you're playing a character right so like if you're a kid like maybe you reenacted this entire movie out in your out in your living room for no reason at all but you did it because you love that character so you kind of have to tap into that whole headspace of where you were as a kid and it's hard it's hard like to go back to think like well how the fuck did i do that you know and i mean it's just but i mean it's just that thing like you're a kid you didn't care you didn't have like a negative thought in your head you just did it you just did it because you thought it was cool you thought it was funny you thought it was something important i guess right so i i mean there's so much there's so many things that you know just we forget as we grow older and it sucks that i have to learn relearn that stuff now as i'm older because i i cared so much about what people thought of me as of right now i do not care like <laughs> i don't give a crap about what anybody has to say or think of me or whatever <laughs> i do what i like i do what i want i wear what i want you know and i mean it's just that's the way to do it yeah yeah it's just there's a lot of there's i call what i call it is meta there's a lot of meta things that and not the facebook meta we're not going to go there but just like the meta, you know, analogies and the uh, whatever that other word is. Um, yeah, just with everything, right? There's this, it's just a cycle. Um, and uh, I'm a storyteller, but, you know, we are in some ways like the characters of, of our own, you know, story. Yeah. And um, I think realizing that just like kids that you are what you believe you are um to some extent you know living reality (laughs) um but that's the powerful thing you know that's what that that's what that childlike imagination um is good for that power of believing in yourself so much that you truly are and the possibilities are endless of what you want to create and um I think circling back again because oh everything is circling back I that's why another reason why I hold so dear the acting and the storytelling because it was truly a place where I learned how to be in the moment to be present especially when it's an audition that I really, really want it and I have to just let it go. You know, I really, really want this outcome or, you know, to to joke about it. I really, really, really like this guy and I hope he likes me back, but I'll just push send, you know, and see what he says. Gotta let it go. We gotta just like be there for it fully in that moment, 100% committed to the audition, to life, to that moment, to that person. And then let everything else go. I had a friend who was telling me that it was hard for them to see, um, to be, I said, you have to be really super, I'm, I said, I'm super specific about the, the outcome that I want. I try to be super specific, you know, Academy Award in five years. I want like a six bedroom mansion, not because I want to be, again, like, cause I want to have retreats and and people visiting me and friends coming and I want them to be able to stay with me at any point 
you know, uh, parties or whatever it is, um, you know, I want to um, be a producer and a showrunner and, you know, direct my first feature film and do a short film and do like a music video and do, I'm, I mean, I'm very specific about the things that I want. I'll tell mostly what I want, you know, even those things. I say, there's no such thing as the haters being able to carry you away from the thing that, you know, whatever that saying goes, don't, don't move, move um, secretly or something because then the haters are going to try and tear all what you've worked for down. I'm like, fuck the haters. Like if something is meant for me, the energy that they put into trying to tear it down only amplifies whatever it is that is meant for me. There's nothing that anybody has on what's meant for me, my goal and what I'm destined to do. There's absolutely nothing can't do jack shit because that is what's absolutely 100% meant for me and it may not be meant for you there's no one that's going to tear it down so go ahead and hate all you want because you're just adding to the fire you're adding your little kindling to make it bigger but I'm very specific because not because you know I'm going to end up getting it although I've been very good at manifesting some stuff but just like the audition, if I'm not 100% committed to what it is that I, who I am in that moment, that character, and I'm just like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm definitely not gonna nail that audition. I am 100% not gonna nail that audition if I am not committed to making a clear decision and a choice as to what I want, whether it's not, whether or not it's right for the part or the production, I, I'm too pretty, I'm too ugly, I'm too uh, not resi enough, whatever it is that, you know, might be wrong for the production, or God forbid, I don't know, you know, maybe I turned in my audition, but I'm one, I'm more capable of possibly getting it. If I make a decision 100% committed, very specific to what I want, than if I am not specific to what I want. And it's definitely not for sure. Um, so that's why I'm specific, but I'm also good at just saying, okay, whew, I'm done. It's out. Baby's out. We're good. We're not, we're just, <laughs> I don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, and whatever happens, happens. I can't, I can't control. That's the other part I can't control. I can do, I can control my desire, my want, and my need. And my vision of what I want it to look like, I can't control the other thing. So I'm all, you know, I'll step away from that. So, oh, anyway. man. That's a whole other thing, too, is control. And I, I just stop trying to control everything myself, you know, and I just do it. And if it's, if it's meant to be, if the universe creator wants it to be like that, then it's going to be, you know, but I can't, I can't think about it. I can't dwell on it. I can't. If it doesn't happen, then I can't just live in that past and be like, oh, man, if I would have got that, man, I would have. I can't. I got it. Like you said, live in the moment, you know, and I mean, that's hard to do, too. It took me a while to forget my past, forget things that I wish I could have done, you know, and all this bullshit that's moved that that moved that's moved on, you know, that's that's already done with. I kept going back to that time and being like. 
oh, I should have did this. I should have done that. Man, I, I could have, I could have been here. I could, and I mean, it's like, no, like that's another thing too. live in the moment. Soak all this up, you know, get ready for whatever's next. And I think yeah. that meme is a uh, move in silence. That's what that meme was. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck all that. <laughs> Blast your stuff. I'll fucking, I'll fucking break all the shelves and everything looking for what I want. I don't give a fuck if I wake you up while I'm trying to look for it, what I need. I, mama needs to go in there and get a snack. And if I wake you up, I'm sorry. I'm hungry. I'm getting what I need. I'm taking care of myself and you should do the same. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I'm not walking on eggshells in life. <laughs> but just one last thing one last thing uh because i gotta go pick up my kids um you know this idea of uh manifesting someone else also asked me about you know um well specifically you know with like certain particular roles especially for native people you know um i i knew about tony hillerman's books and stuff and there's like a family story that like my great one of my great uncles was one of the reasons that Tony Hillerman wrote the book I mean if you look at my uncle's uh resume like it's almost as if it was the same as Joe Lee porn in the book so it's I'm like I'm not sure if like there's truth to it to me it looks like there's validity to the story that that Joe Lee Porn was based off of my uncle, or you know, maybe there's a lot of Navajo police officers with the exact same resume. I have no idea. You know, I have to go and ask people. Does your your uncle have the same resume as my as my uncle? But um, you know, so I knew about his books. My dad loves reading them. Everybody was reading Tony Hillerman. You mentioned Navajo reservation books, and people always ask me like, "Oh, have you read Tony Hillerman?" Well, you know, I I got the script, and they gave me the the script to read to audition for one of the roles and you know I was a little hesitant because I know the controversy surrounding it because a non-native writing about Navajo people but I said you know what as an actor I have to look at this one way where this is just another audition and it's a numbers game if I don't do this audition then it means I have one less number in the statistics of the percentage of, you know, my, my batting average, basically. So I said, you know what? Um, and I read the script and I was a little kind of spooked out a little, but I said, you know what, creator universe, I said, I'm just going to do the best of my ability for this audition because that is who I am as an actor and a performer. I'm not going to give a crap audition. I'm going to do, I'm going to treat this like any other screenplay um, solely for the basis of the fact that it was so, you know, it's, it's Navajo culture, right? Um, so, you know what, creator, if, if this was meant to be, this was meant to be, and I'm completely leaving it up to the universe to decide whether or not, you know, this is what's meant for me. Because if I end up getting it, it's for a reason. And um, either a lesson for me, it's always, everything is always a lesson. Or, you know, I'm meant to be on that set for whatever other reason. There's always going to be a reason. And that can go into how I view dating and meeting people and stuff. I don't date. I just have meetings with conversations with food with people. And I don't believe necessarily in this idea of dating. It's just I meet people. 
why? Because people are interesting and I love their stories. I'm not meeting anyone to kiss them or hook up or anything. I'm meeting a person because I want to know their story. And I want to have food and talk. <laughs> and so, and I don't know where that's going to go. Maybe they're going to be the best, maybe they're going to be a husband to my best friend or something. I have no idea. Or they're going to be the person who funds my next movie or something. Um, so I don't know where this is particular audition will go but I'm going to do my best I'm going to do it 100% to the best of my ability and I'm going to fucking nail it well I almost nailed it so anyway but I did get a role on Tarko <laughs> and it is coming out June 12th which is in a couple of weeks I'm going to try my best to go well I am actually going to go to Austin they're um they're uh having a pre-screening um at the TV festival there in Austin, Texas on June 2nd. So I'm gonna to go to that. Um, but for everyone else, they have to wait till June 12th to watch it on AMC or AMC Plus. Um, and I'm at least in two episodes, maybe four, depending on the editing. Can't suggest any other things other than that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm not in charge of that stuff. So <laughs> I am in the trailer though. And I am in the banner, uh, AMC Plus. Um, promoting the whole thing, which is very odd, very flattering, but very odd. Um, thank you, AMC. <laughs> awesome, it's the biggest man. thing I've done yet. So hopefully, you know, everyone keeps telling me this is an upward trend and I'm trying not to be in that place of fear. Whatever happens, happens. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy with my donut. I'm, I'm happy with how things are right now. Um, they're, they're great. Um, I'm not going to complain. I will welcome any wonderful blessings that happen to come my way. We welcome it. We welcome all that. <laughs> Keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though. Yeah, I can't wait for that to come out. See everybody on that show. It's going to be amazing. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and cut it because I know you got to go do some stuff. But uh, let everybody know how to follow you and keep up with you and if you have any clips on youtube or anything um so i'm on instagram uh not twitter so much but instagram mostly um facebook too as desba d-e-d-b-a-a i'm gonna say this wrong delta echo zeta bravo alpha alpha i don't know c is um zebra yeah zebra (laughs) (laughs) um but instagram and facebook primarily i am working on a website same thing desbaugh.com um consulting also for screenwriting and auditioning and guest lecturing and one day new york times bestseller book i don't know we'll see (laughs) it'll happen (laughs) i believe it okay i'll believe for you (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, be, in I'll all, be neutral. <laughs> I believe in all my friends. 100%. <laughs> I know you. it's going to happen. <laughs> but yeah, man, yeah. this was, this is amazing. I loved our talk. I love getting to know you and I'm so excited for your future and everything you got going on. Um, thank you so much for coming on again. Uh, I had, a, I had a fun time, so you're welcome back anytime. Everybody go follow her, keep up with her, check out the new series, 
and look out for desba.com. Um, go follow her on Instagram. Uh, check out Okie Podcast on Instagram if you haven't yet. At Okie Podcast, uh, at Russell Must 49 is my other one. Russell Sunny, go on Facebook. Okie Podcast is on Facebook as well. Okie Podcast is available. Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. It's everywhere. Uh, check out the website, okiepodcast.com. And yeah, so thanks again. Till next time, everybody. Peace.